Yeehaw, hello, and howdy. Thank you for joining us on the Canon Stats podcast. This is your, your second Canon Stats podcast of the week. I had the, the pleasure of talking with Tim from 7 a.m. kickoff yesterday. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to that one, I, I'd recommend it. But like we promised, this is becoming an increasingly weekly Arsenal Analytics podcast. Um, I think if you do it twice in a row, I think you can uh, with confidence say that it's increasingly happening. I am Scott Willis. And as always, I am joined by my co-host, Adam Bogey. How are you doing, Adam? I'm I'm good. Uh, happy, uh, I guess, good morning. Scott's Nevada, so it's morning time there. It's just barely morning where I am. Uh, and I would I would just interject, Scott, that as good stats people, we we should probably hold off until three before we call this a trend. Right, it might be a small sample size. Yeah, this is this is a little. So the sample size is not reassuring for me at this point. I got to see more. That's that's good. So, do you have big plans for this weekend? Right, there's no Arsenal matches. So you're going to do something on Saturday and Sunday. I don't. I'm I'm such in like the stage of my life um, being in my I'm this is pathetic because I'm still only in my 30s. But um, having two kids who are both, uh, you know, six or younger, um, the the weekends that we don't have plans, we will find something to do <laughs> the day. The day will still take like t- it'll feel like it takes 10 minutes. So I will miss it. Um, you know, I got to figure out the best way to watch the game since I will technically be working. Uh, and not at home. So, uh, but mm-hmm. I'll, I'll find a way, you know, life finds a way. Exactly. I, I'm, I'm lucky that it falls at least the start in my lunch hour. So I might just, you know, kind of block it off and say that I have a, a long lunch that day. Um, yes. And so that, that actually works out pretty nice for, for my time zone that it's going to be 1145 to about 145. So pretty good for me overall to be able to to watch and write and be able to to do all those things. Um, you know, I just put myself away on my my messenger services and be able to to do all that kind of stuff. Yes, because like like all good American uh, fans of the Arsenal, Scott and I um, do not interrupt our work schedules for any of the stuff that we do. If if our bosses are listening. Absolutely not, right? I, I started today at like four o'clock in the morning to be able to get all my work in and be so able to, like to do that. Four. That's right. Um, all right. So um, I think the, there's lots of interesting news, but I think the the biggest one to, to start with is the the Urian Timber situation. Yeah. Um, so Mikel was talked or asked about this um, at his press conference. Was that yesterday? Probably. Um, mm-hmm. I was reading through it this morning. Um, and I think the big one, you know, asked about if we're going to go into the market. And I think this is what he said here. I am more thinking about the resources that we have within the team to keep doing what we want to do. It is true that he was giving us a very different thing in terms of how we could do both sides. But again, these things happen and we have to be prepared for that. So it doesn't sound like um, he's giving anything away that they're going to go into the market. Um, And I know you wrote previously here um, about some of the options that are kind of out there, but we haven't had a chance to really discuss any of the internal options. And I think that's kind of interesting to to at least think about for now, because especially for this weekend, uh, we're definitely not going to have time to get anything external done. No, definitely. I mean, we saw David Raya. I think he was at the at the building probably Thursday or Friday last week and still couldn't get into the team for Nottingham Forest. But um, so it's basically impossible at this point. Um, yeah, I mean, the internal, the internal options, uh, it, it seems like there's kind of... Not, I mean, it's not like a heated debate, but there's definitely some debate about, you know, what the internal options actually are and, and whether they're uh, suitable. Um, you know, I, I had kind of started off this whole process by saying if this is like a, a three month, a four month type of injury before we realized how bad it was. Um, 
that you could you could squeeze through that. Uh, I think now now if you're talking about you know best case scenario basically being that maybe he gets some game time in the spring again. You know maybe there's a, a, a also a decent chance that he's just not returning this season at all. So it feels like I mean it does feel like it's a good argument to make a move um, that's maybe not earth shattering you know i know people have talked about like pavard and people like that but you know he's gonna cost inter 20 million uh 25 million in euros for those of you who use that currency so um yeah internally i mean at this point it really remains to be seen um how this affects the outgoings right Mm -hmm. because it, it seems like it seems like um and I say that because, you know, everything is whispers and rumors and some some guys' sources. But it seems like Arteta and Edu do not consider Yuri and Timber's injury to be linked with Kieran Tierney. Uh, yeah. They certainly don't <laughs> link it to Nuno Tavares. So it seems like he's gone. Um, you know, there's, there's such little talk about Cedric and Holding, but I would be surprised. Uh, well, maybe that's the wrong way to put it. I would be surprised if Arsenal like drew a hard line on either of those two and were like, no, you know, they're only leaving here for X million, whatever number you want to throw at them. But um, I guess I wouldn't be shocked if, if neither of them got like uh, interest in a move in the next two weeks and ended up being sort of like uh, what in one of my, in one of my pieces, I called it the, the El Nenny position. It's just a glorified mascot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Cause I think that's kind of what El is going to end up being by the way. Uh, this this season so it basically once you go through all that mental you know uh, monologue you've got like six options you've got Tomiyasu, Ben White, uh, William Saliba, Gabriel, Kivior, and Alexander Zinchenko so you're, you're basically going six for four um, the most pessimistic view on this is that two of those guys are pretty injury prone and you could run into some situations where you've got basically four choices uh, yeah, for, for four spots. A, a stretch. Yeah. I mean, you could, you could certainly argue, right. That um, against the likes of Nottingham forest, we only played three and, or at least we only started three, I should say. Uh, and, and things were fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thomas party played right back and inverted and, you know, it was basically a back three in possession. So it's gonna. I'm. I'm really fascinated. It's not. You know. I say all the time when people say, "Well, we need like a really good player to be behind Kaya Saka. We need a really good player to be behind Martin Odegaard because if they tear their ACL, um, you know, our levels are going to drop." And I just always respond with, "Well, if they tear their ACL, Arsenal aren't going to win the Premier League." I'm sorry to tell you that. Um, but this is a little bit different because he's he's not like an irreplaceable player. Um, so it's. I could see it going either way. I mean, I, I do expect them to kick the tires on some guys who aren't necessarily exciting. You know, your Timothy Castanias and your your Kyle Walker Peterses, and just see like what yeah sound out like. things right. Yeah, and maybe maybe they don't end up moving. Um, I'm not really sure. I consider Ivan Fresneda like a, something that could actually happen. I think the, my problem with with that move is that he's 18 years old. He needs to play. Um, and I, I would, I would view him as certainly the third option at right back, uh, if not fourth. Um, so it's not necessarily a move that I find super appealing. I just don't know that Arsenal have minutes to give him, and he, and he needs them. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, even though everybody gushes over him, I think I think he's still got more development to do. So I don't know. I mean, what would you do, Scott, at this point? Yeah, it, it feels like we're kind of back to the starting point of where we were at the end of last season. And I didn't think that the end of last season was absolutely horrible. Like, right. I mean, obviously, once we got the injuries, it felt bad. But we were able to make it through most of the season without it becoming a major issue. So it's like I'm not super comfortable but I'm not like uh, my, my my worry level is probably somewhere at like a, a five and a half, six range. Like, so I'm not like freaking out about, you know, this is this is our, you know, theoretically backup guy that we brought in to, you know, not necessarily be a starter. So this was a, right. a depth signing for the future. And I don't think that should necessarily change the plans massively. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I, I was very excited about him. I, I was incredibly impressed with how quickly he seemed to integrate inside of the squad and like we basically threw him into the deep end and he just started swimming without any problems and I thought that was incredibly impressive and really really upped my expectations about him and I think that's what makes this such a a bummer of a sign or you know an injury that we are just starting to see these really nice things from him um to be able to to kind of come in and give us you know less worries about it uh, but you know you you think about like for this this coming weekend and right it's we still have what Tomiyasu if we want to go with something more of like a center backy um Zinchenko played against Luton uh was it yesterday uh, yeah. in that one and was able to to get some minutes on there so that kind of makes it feel a little bit better that he's coming back um we still have Kivior if we also want you know another center back type um mm-hmm. and then you know i think it's the the right hand side where the numbers feel a little bit less right i mean i guess there's again uh tamiyasu ben white on the the right hand side it, it it's just a little bit down to how much you worry about uh tamiyasu because he's a guy that theoretically backups three spots yeah. and he doesn't have the cleanest injury record I, although to be fair the injury that he suffered at the end was a bit kind of a fluke freak one kind of like this that, you know, I, I don't know if you necessarily put down to him being injury prone. Um, you know, this isn't like a, a reoccurring calf strain or a hamstring where those ones, you know, just seem to happen over and over again. I, I would still worry about a calf strain or a hamstring with Tommy Asu, but the knee injury, I'm not overly worried about that one uh, being something that happens over and over again. So I feel like we're kind of back to that original square one that we started with. Mm-hmm. where it's it feels just slightly short like it feels like we're a little too close to seeing like real rob holding minutes again <laughs> yeah no i get that and i that's i think that was one thing that a lot of people said um kind of right in the wake of when you know the that's not looking good brev gifts were gifts were coming in on was that monday yeah um, but i think that one thing one thing that i think is at least worth pointing out is uh, while holding wasn't terrible in the first couple of games that he started, uh, you know, the, the team still mm-hmm. played pretty well and blah, blah, blah. And then it kind of all started to fall apart because of the, the line couldn't be as high and everything else. And eventually, um, after, at long last, Arteta kind of threw caution to the wind and said, I'm going to try Kivior. He's got much better recovery pace. He's better on the ball. Blah, and, you know, I guess he's probably a better at least one-on-one defender but um yeah we saw the 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 first iteration of thomas party to right back ben white to right center back kind of thing that we saw on saturday yeah yes and uh and there were even unless i'm misremembering i think there were even a game or two 
um, where Kivior was basically just playing right center back. So mm-hmm. if, uh, if Arteta is able to say in the same situation that, you know what, maybe I'm a little bit too committed to one lefty, one righty, um, and I'm, and I'm sacrificing quality for that. Uh, maybe, maybe I get a little bit more comfortable because the concept of having, I mean, we saw Saliba, uh, at least, at least when there were four at the back, we saw Saliba as the nominal, nominal left center back in the season opener. So, and he's not left footed. Uh, so if, if we're able to look at it that way, then I think you do have three for two at center back, uh, or actually four for two, because I count Ben White. Um, and that, that gets a little bit better, right? But it's it's still, yeah, it's still a little uneasy. The great thing about Timber is that um, while I personally do, you know, he was he was basically 100% center back at Ajax. Mm-hmm. I, I don't really expect that to be his role for Arsenal, but um, he kind of, in a way, does serve as the Saliba backup because if we don't look at Timber as being in the first four, um, if Saliba did go down, then White goes inside and Timber can play right back. Easy. Yep. Uh, I, that's kind of how I view the depth behind like Saka, for example, um, bringing in Havertz, having Trissard around, um, having a, a seemingly reliable and in favor Eddie and Kedia in the team uh, gives you options, right? You don't, you don't have a, you know, a guy, you don't have a Mohamed Kudus on the bench or something, or Michael Olize, who's, who's, a you know, committed to the right wing position, but you have guys who can play it well. So it's, you know, I could see Arteta trying to make it work going through that system. There aren't going to be, um, I, I said this in writing in one of the blogs, but this season uh, there are not going to be as many throw on the bench games as there have been. <laughs> we, we've gotten very, we've gotten very used to throw on the bench games as Arsenal fans, because we've been in the either no Europe or the Europa league for the past seven years. But um, you know, I mean, once you start looking at like who's coming through the qualifying rounds, uh, even the pot four clubs are going to be pretty tough. Um, you know, I remember Manchester City rocked up to to Copenhagen last season and played their starting eleven because they needed to. They barely won that game, um, so it's just you know it's it might get a little tight at times. Yeah. Um, so let's, let's let's talk a little bit about some of the external options. So you wrote a, a post on this, uh, looking yeah. at players that sort of match uh, Yuri and Timber. So yeah, why don't you kind of talk through what you thought here of some of the the options that are out there? Yeah, well, I mean, first and foremost, it's it's a very rare profile because he's he's essentially, I think he profiles like a fullback who plays center back. He carries the ball like like a like a good ball carrying number six um in in uh in build up especially this past season and i know i know uh ten hog had weird, uh let's say eccentric build up when he was the yeah. manager too uh so you you ended up with a lot of situations where timber would you know he would pass to like edson alvarez and he would end up being like the midfielder for the rest of build up Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's he's got a lot of statistical traits that are going to be very hard to match in a center back. He has a lot of like carries into the final third. You just don't see that a lot. So um, yeah, like of- you think about like his, the position that he played. Like yeah, he was a nominal you know center back, but the role that he had is very unique to what Ajax were were doing. Yeah, it was. It was, and it's uh, God, now of course the name of it is going to is going to escape me, but kind of an older style football. Um, 
there was a, a specific name for this role where you would be a center back, you would be kind of centrally um, located defensively, but uh, Libro, um, where you would be, you'd also be very focused on like progressing the ball through the middle. So um, it's definitely, it's definitely unique. And and for that reason, a lot of the, a lot of the comps that I got back statistically were fullbacks um, mm-hmm. who are doing most of their carrying up the wings. So, uh, you know, I mean, my favorite one that came out statistically was probably Mazarawi, who's at Bayern. Used to be Ajax, used to start next to Timber. Um, he's he's done kind of done it all. He's been an inverted right back. He's been a an overlapping right back. He plays left back pretty frequently for the Moroccan international team. Um, and in the in the Ajax Youth Academy, he was a center or a central midfielder. So he's got a lot of different skills. Um, he's a good player. He's kind of out of favor at Bayern, but it kind of it sounds like maybe they are trying to kind of fix that relationship. Uh, as I as we said earlier, Benjamin Pavard is basically gone at this point. I yeah. just got an alert while we were recording that he's not in the team tonight as they work on selling him to Inter. So he, yeah, he would be one that I would I would interested in seeing um and i think you know there's kind of some some level of debate over what type of player should arsenal even go for right should you go for somebody who can be a fullback on either side like timber can should you go for somebody who's like a hybrid center back and fullback um more like a kiwi or or a ben white um so there are a lot of different profiles um nobody's quite like yuri and timber though uh at least not that i have a lot of familiarity with um, the ones we've seen linked or at least like brought up uh, by reporters who are, you know, they occasionally are just saying things that they've remembered. Um, I remember yeah. there was the talk from Simon Collings at the be- not like leading into the summer. He's like, well, Arsenal have scouted big physical number nines. And then everybody's like, well, this means we're going to sign a big physical number nine this summer. He's like, no, this is just this is a reporter talking out of his rear. Um, well, I mean, technically, we, we kind of did, right? We got, we got Kai Havertz, who's a, a big physical number nine. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, no, I mean, the the Collings, the Collings, uh, like, prediction has, has come to fruition here, I guess. Um, so, I mean, we've we've seen the name Kyle Walker-Peters uh, advance a lot. Former Spurs play, can play both, both fullback positions, uh, less of a defender, comfortable in build-up. Um, you know, he's started all of Southampton's games since they've been in the championships. So I wouldn't know that he's especially for sale or for loan. Like they might not want to get rid of him unless they're very compelled to. So might end up being kind of expensive. Um, go back to the beginning, beginning of the summer, Arsenal were linked with Timothy Castagna, like we said, from Leicester, uh, very similar can play both fullback spots to me is like less dynamic of a presence, less exciting, less, He's going to pop less, but, um, you know, I think he's a, yeah, a little bit older, right? A um, little bit more he's a year old, seasoned. Yeah, yeah. He's 27. So he's, uh, you know, Belgian national team teammate of Leandro Trossard. So there's your in. Lester have not played him yet this season, I don't think. He definitely hasn't started any of the games in the championship. Uh, wasn't even in the squad for one of their games. So would he be gettable? I mean, it feels like it. It certainly feels like it. They're not. They're not exactly relying on him. Uh, you know, we talked about Fresneda. Um, he's definitely for sale. He's got a release clause from what I re- what I've read is probably about twenty million. Uh, but he's got he's got legitimate clubs after him. Like he's got Barcelona after him. There was a report 
um, at some point this week that two Premier League clubs are actually trying to get him. I don't think one of them is Arsenal, mm-hmm. um, you know, even though we've been linked to him before. Uh, but again, he's 18. Um, very good on the ball. Very, very, very high ceiling, but uh, definitely, you know, makes mistakes. Needs yeah, to and I know when I've watched him, he looks incredibly raw still at times. And like, yes. I, there's the the old Arsene Wenger line of a young defender is going to cost you points. And that's just something that you have to kind of deal with to be able to do, you know, have that kind of player in your team. And it, it still feels like where Arsenal are at right now. Like, I don't know if we can afford to carry that for long stretches right now because he still feels like he's got a lot of polish left to put on his game. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would completely agree with that. I think if you, if you, if you only watched him in uh, his one game against Real Madrid last season, you'd be like, wow, this kid is the greatest thing since sliced bread. But if you watch more, you start to see, oh yeah, he is, he is 18. Uh, He, he fits the Arsene Wenger uh, quote. Yeah. So if you had to kind of rank the, the players that are there, your, how would your, your ranking go? Out of those, out of those three, let's say Mizrawi isn't isn't available. I would probably put Castagna first. No, mm-hmm. I would I put Kyle Walker first. Kyle Walker Peters. Um, yeah, I think I think I would prefer him. I think he's just a little bit. He brings a little bit more of a of, of like a wow factor. Um, but I, you know, I don't think either any of the three would start necessarily over like Tomiyasu um, if he's fit and Ben White needs a game off or the left uh, F Sinchenko needs a game off Kivior and Tomiyasu are probably ahead of them, but you could see Walker Peters carving out some minutes. Uh, Castagna would be my second. You could see him carving out some minutes too. Um, and, and you know, while Fresneda is the kind of player where you're like, you look at that and you see the long-term appeal of it. Um, it's not really what Arsenal need right now uh, as a, as a player you could sell for a lot more money in two years. They just, they need a contributor. Um, yeah. They need somebody who can come off the bench, even if they haven't played in a month, and play a decent game. And that's that's my fear with him. Um, my other thing is just that uh, I did have another thing I was going to say, but I lost it. Um, Take it um, I'll just I'll say you know Castagna. I think if you're you're kind of looking at again like that jack of all trades, able to be flexible, do things. I think Castagna might fit that role just that little bit better. Um, mm-hmm. He's certainly not as flashy, but I think from a backup, I'd rather just go with kind of a, a steady kind of hand there as someone that I think kind of pushes me towards like if we're really going to be looking there, like maybe there's a a bit of Lester being desperate to to sell, although they've done, I think, enough perhaps with, uh, you know, getting James Madison out um, to be able to, to kind of fund their year in the championship. Um, but yeah, he might be a guy that is gettable. Um, and you know, kind of fits the the need. So if we do go into the market, I think he might tick the most boxes as someone who makes sense. Um, certainly not the most exciting, but I think um, for the team would not be a bad move overall. Right, and I mean, I think one thing that has gotten a little overlooked um, as we talk about targets is the fit once timber comes back whether that's in march whether that's in april may june whatever um if you sign somebody like a fresneta who literally literally primarily right back uh if he's got a secondary position it would be left back which he's just done like 
you know, end of the game, substitutions have been made. Uh, okay, Fresno is the closest thing to a left back we have. He's not been a starter there. Um, and I know Timber was never a starter at left back either. But uh, so you bring you bring somebody like him in. What does that squad look like from next season? I think that's a big question. With with a let's say like a negligible kind of kind of a purchase like a like a Tim Castagna, um, you know, you might be able to get him for let's I don't know, let's just say fifteen million pounds. Like that's that's not there's there's nothing prohibitive about that. Arsenal could turn around and sell him for ten next summer and it would be fine. Um, exactly, kind, yeah. Kind of like what hypothetically could have happened with Jorginho uh, this summer. We the club could have sold him for ten and like no no harm no foul. So I think that's why those guys appeal to me a little bit more. Um, so I know another name that's kind of been floating again. This is one that it feels like people are kind of pulling out old links and um, making more of them. Um, it is Simican uh, from RB Leipzig, right? So he's a more of a more of a center back than I think a right back. Um, but I don't know. What you got any thoughts on that one, or do you think that's just more uh, putting together? We had a, a link in the past, and now we have an injury, so we're going to resurface this link. Yeah, I mean. The big, like the big takeaway for me with Mosimakan is that is that I I like the player. Um, if you read my my post on him from yeah, I'll make sure to link that in the show notes too, right? And also the the one that you did on the the external options because they're they're very well done. Oh, thank you, Scott. Um, the uh, yeah, I mean the take the takeaway from that is definitely positive. Um, back that was just back before Timber. That was back before anything else. And you know, he's just a player that that I like. He's played. Uh, he's played multiple positions in the back. Uh, he's played in multiple different systems. He's played right center back in a back three. He's played right wing back in a back three. He's played right right back in a back four. Um, French international U21 teammate of Saliba. They know each other well. Um, he's he's a good player. He's got good physical traits. He's tall, uh, good speed. Um, so he would be a good option. Uh, because he can play right center back. He could literally step in for Saliba and play. Um, I mean, you know, who's going to get at that close of a level, but he could do a, a solid job and he would be able to play a high line. Uh, he could, he could step in as a right back too. I, I like him on the ball. Um, he's good at overlapping. So there's a lot to like there. My, my big question with him is okay. RB Leipzig, uh, their summer, they sold Sobeschlei, they sold in Kunku and they sold, Yasko Guvardiol now. So they've got, I think, I think they've literally got the second or third most uh, income from sales in Europe this summer. Why would they sell Simicon for anything less than a very good deal? That's um, a, a very good point that I hadn't really done a, a lot of con, uh, you know, thinking about, and I probably should have, right? Because that is yes. a, a lot, a lot of sales. And their, their sporting director literally was using the fact that they had gotten uh, Soberschleis release clause specifically paid um, as a reason why they wouldn't accept a small deal for Guardiola. And they, and I mean, they got their hundred million on him. So I think that it would be tough. It would be really tough to get him. I would enjoy it. I would think, I think he would fit with the squad long-term as uh, as another kind of in the Ben White bucket who can play inside or outside on the right side. You know, there's a bit of redundancy there at right back. Cause all of a sudden you'd have three guys who could all be starting for, a very good European club. Um, but I, I just think, you know, he's, you're going to have to spend 40 million, maybe more to get him out of there at this point. Yeah, exactly. 
All right. Um, I think this this does lead in nicely, though, to the the next question, and that is, how do we now kind of deal with the the lineup for Monday? Because you know we had Timber in the starting lineup for not just uh, the match on last weekend, but the you know the weekend before against City, and it seems like that there's going to be some domino effects that kind of come from this, where you know maybe the the way that the team lines up is going to be different now. Um, so where do you kind of see the left back starter or the, you know, the nominal left back starter, or is it a change of formation for Monday? Well, I mean, I guess, I guess technically I, I personally am expecting a change of formation from Forrest. Um, I think what we saw in that game is probably a little bit more of an at home at the Emirates thing, or at least, you know, away at more like your Luton town type of situation. I know that they don't have Wilf Zaha anymore, but um, I still think Selhurst Park is not, a, you know, it's not a, an easy dub. So I, I'm personally expecting back four. Um, as we were as we were just like kind of starting up, there started to be more information that, uh, you know, it's always it's Twitter. So who knows? But that Zinchenko is basically considered uh, full strength at this point that he would be mm, ready interesting. Um, to go on Monday, especially because he's got a couple extra days. So I kind of think we're going to see Zinchenko. Um, you know, I'm expecting the the twin towers at the back, Gabby and, and Wheelow. And then I, I just expect Ben White on the right. So that's kind of what I'm expecting. I don't know if you had other thoughts on that. Yeah, I think that's what I, when I was earlier in the week, that's what I posted as my expectation because I was a bit hopeful um, again on the Zinchenko news. And I think that that is borne out that there's been enough time for him to, to get in. He might not have a full 90 minutes in his legs, but I think that, he's going to start. And I think that, you know, what I think we want to be able to see from this match is a bit more control. And you think about kind of the options that we have there. Zinchenko is the most obvious one to be able to, to bring us control. Um, you know, there isn't necessarily a, uh, a Zaha anymore now on their team. So, I mean, I guess, you know, you still would have, but potentially Olise because he's, you know, signed a new contract there. So maybe he starts um, to go up against there, but that's not really a, a matchup that I, that scares me, um, you know, on the, the right-hand side. So I think I'm okay starting Zinchenko, um, you know, maybe give him 60 minutes to, to be able to do it. And then maybe you bring on uh, Tomiyasu or you bring on a Kivior. Uh, to help hopefully help see out a, a game where we've gotten a, an early lead. So I, I think I'm with you on that back four. But that does lead into the next position is now the the midfield, where I think that there's the the big question. So we were able to sneak Thomas Party and Declan Rice in there by putting Thomas Party at right back nominally. Um, if we're we both have said that we don't think that's going to happen. So is there a change in midfield? Is there a change in striker that's to come as well? I think <laughs> I think that there's there's a universe here where the answer is yes to both, but um, not maybe not what you'd expect. I, I think that you, you very well could see the kind of more defensively minded, the more control minded midfield, which is to me that's the rice party Odegaard three. Mm-hmm. I think I think Kai is gonna start a lot of games um, in the midfield, but I think that, in a situation like this with some questions at the back in terms of, you know, Zinchenko's getting back up to fitness and or to sharpness and everything like that. I, I could definitely see Arteta going a little bit more, uh, a little bit more kind of um, 
conservative in its approach there. Crystal Palace, you know, they only they only won their first game one nil at Sheffield United, but um, it was a game where they they dominated the entire thing. Um, you know, it's basically two to 0.5 in XG. Um, you know, they've, they've got, they've got some dual winning ability in midfield with guys like Eberichi Eze, uh, Jake mm-hmm. Dupore is a good midfielder. So I could just see, I could see a little bit stronger in the midfield. Yeah. So then, yeah. Do you put Kai at the, the striker or do you stick with Eddie? Cause I, I think, I'm also kind of with you. I think that that is probably what we will see um, in this situation where I think we're, we're going away from home. I think that Mikel is going to lean towards more control, at least to start the game, just to try to step on things, be able to, I think he was happy enough with, you know, the, the way that Arsenal built up and be able to do that. But I think he doesn't want to necessarily give away easy options for the team to be counterattacked against. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, and, and you know, Palace, even with Elise back in the lineup instead of probably Jordan Ayew, um, not necessarily the most fear-inducing speed in that attack. So I, I would not be terribly scared of giving one away on the break. But, um, you know, I mean, cue, big mistake by someone there. Right, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think I that's just what I that's just what I see. And then... You know, they're great. I mean, it's a great problem to have, right? That there are, there are legitimately three names that you could see at nine on Monday and be like, okay, yeah, that's cool. Um, I think that, I think, you know, in classic Eddie fashion, Eddie's is probably the one that would make the most people angry. But he, <laughs> if he starts uh, or if he's not on, if he's not the starter? Yeah. Well, if he starts, <laughs> yeah. um, he's, I think he's just the most divisive. He's the, he's not the new signing. So he loses out to Kai there, and he's not he's not the techie, uh, exciting forward. So he loses out to Trossard. So, uh, you know, I, I think that I could see any of those three. Uh, I, I maybe maybe if I'm if I'm trying to put myself on the line, maybe I'll predict that it'll be Trossard this time. Mm, and interesting. Then Eddie and Havertz off the bench. Yeah, I think that'll be. Trussard's brace in the practice game against Luton, and obviously he's he's done really well uh, when he's been used lately. Um, you know, Kai got to start the last game, Eddie got to start the last game, but I guess we should be asking Mikel who's looked the best in training because that might influence his decision. Yeah, I mean, I think that is the the big one there. To to seems like he puts a lot of weight on that. Um, I, I, I kind of lean the same way. I think I'd like to see Trussard. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I've I've said this multiple times where I just he fits more the style of I think the the like for like sub of what we'd like to be able to kind of see from like a Gabriel Jesus who um, helps bring balance to the attacking trio um, that mm-hmm. you kind of expect to be able to see it um, while Eddie is much more of a an isolated player you know looking to make more runs off the ball rather than come back to you know contribute being able to do that um, which I think there's a, a place for both of those inside of the team, but I, I think I am kind of leaned a bit more. I, I guess I am leaning into this control thing, and I think that Tressard, a guy that can help give you numbers in midfield, is kind of the way that you kind of go for it and you know use the the two as in case of emergency or if we want to change the game. Um, I think that's something that that Kai Havertz is a little bit perhaps underrated on is that just he's so flexible that he can help us 
off the bench to be able to change the game in multiple different ways. Um, and I, I really like that option if things are taking a turn or if, you know, we do have a lead and, you know, now we want to use him as a, a target for longer passes to be able to do things. So I don't know. I, I think you're right in that maybe in this game, there's a, a nod towards let's get a uh, Trissard a chance and, you know, see what he can do to, to be able to do it. Cause I think he also has earned it too with his play as well. Yeah, I mean that's you can't even you can't argue against that, right? Just like has Trissard not played well enough to to get to start some games while Jesus is out? Absolutely not. He's been he's been so good. Uh, it's it's just genuinely like an overpopulation issue where there are, there are five guys who you who could start. Um, you know more if depending on what you think of some of the backups on the wings. Um, obviously, Saka and Martinelli aren't going anywhere. Um, it's particularly not with how they both, I mean, Saka maybe wasn't the greatest performance in week one, but he did score the great goal. Martinelli for me was one of the players of the match in that, in that game. So he has, he's undroppable for me this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a very good problem to have, but I think, you know, the one thing you can say about particularly in is if, is if he doesn't get to start, uh, he's going to come in at some point. He made Absolutely. 30 appearances in the league last season, and he missed five weeks with an injury. So do the math. Exactly. No, I think this is a, a good headache for Arsenal to be happening right now. There's the, an abundance of options. Um, it feels like we're in a, a very, very good spot to be able to mix and match for opponents. And um, I'm, I'm kind of excited to, to see how... Arteta deals with this. It's uh, not one of those foregone conclusions right now of what the lineup is going to be when it comes out an hour before. And it's kind of exciting to to have this change of pace. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's completely different than being an Arsenal fan in 2019 and having, you know, which of the three terrible options will you go with? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, all right, I think that's uh, enough, and we'll we'll kind of switch gears here a little bit, kind of looking at transfers. Some there's a a new kind of rumor out right now, and it's that Chelsea have now uh, kind of entered the the arena with interest in signing uh, Flo Balligan. And I think this is a, a really interesting one. So Spurs also um, expressed some interest, supposedly. Um, Arsenal, yes. I guess, uh, put a, a big number when they inquired, which I think is kind of right. Do you think they're going to do something similar with Chelsea? Or is this something oh, that I think that we would entertain a little bit more? No, I mean, this is, this is the thing that um, so many fans, I think, have yet to really uh, get or embrace um, about this whole transfer thing. Uh, we we get the the rhetoric that oh well Hoyland went for seventy million pounds to <laughs> Manchester United so Balogun scored two and a half times as many goals as him he should get they should get more for him right and the answer is well if one of the big six comes in for him I think you can start talking about that as a comp yes uh, so particularly um, well because Arsenal and Chelsea are both in the big six this is where we get these big money transfers between these clubs this is. This is how Chelsea like it's not it's not some kind of magical elixir that Chelsea have that they can sell Kai Havertz for sixty five million, which by the way was 10, ten million below their publish or their leaked asking price from the beginning of the summer, or to sell Mason Mount for sixty five, which by the way was or uh, sixty, which was ten million below his leaked asking price. So it's not like they're selling for their original ask either. But um, this is where you can start to look at those uh, as. Com- comparables and you can start to really make some money off of each other. Uh, everybody and their mom, I think has already said 
we don't do business with our rivals, blah, blah, blah. We do. Um, if, if the, the reality is in the past five to 10 years, uh, since Giroud, basically, who have Arsenal had that would even figure into a lineup at Chelsea? Nobody. Uh, the thing, the thing about this, I mean, other than, you know, obviously Bukayo Saka, Gabriel Martinelli, blah, blah, uh, players now, that would absolutely not entertain selling. No, not it's particularly not to them. If we're going to sell Saka, it's going to be to Barcelona, Real Madrid, Manchester city, maybe. And it's going to be for a ton of money. That's when you get to make all this money in the transfer market. But, um, not that we ever will sell him in my opinion, but so Balogun, um, you know, quoted as 50 million pounds in the press to the likes of Inter, Monaco, West Ham, Fulham, uh, Chelsea comes in. Yes. That number goes up. It, it does go up and it probably goes up pretty significantly. So do Chelsea want to pay 65 million, 70 million for Balogun? Let's find out. Yeah. Um, and I think that's something that that's a, an unfortunate reality of just the, the economics of the game. We may not want to sell to rivals anymore, but unfortunately it feels like our rivals are really the only other teams that have money, unfortunately. Uh, right. Cause yes. it's like, you think about outside of like Bayern, um, you know, even Barcelona, like they're a, a mess financially, you know, and then they like, real, like the Italian teams uh, are all crying poverty. PSG are in this weird kind of state right now where I guess they could also be a place for, you know, but it's also, I don't know how uh, exciting of a destination they actually are right now these days. Yeah. They're and not going to sign anybody who's not Jorge Mendez's client anyway. So, <laughs> right. And then there's the Saudi uh, leagues and um, for young players, I'm not sure how much of a, a draw that is right now. So, it is one of those like, so if you don't want to sell to your rivals, you have to be willing to take a pretty big discount for yes. whatever sale you are willing to make. So it's like there's a that trade off. Do you want to make these good sales? Are you going to keep beating up Edu that he can't sell to players, but you also want to put the shackles on him that, you know, he can't sell to these teams that actually have the money? Well, and so let's I mean. Let, let's talk about this for, for a minute here, uh, selling to rivals, because this is, you know, particularly yesterday when the Team News and Ticks account brought up that Tottenham had acquired or inquired for for flow. Um, there was there was a lot of puffing out the chest in the Arsenal fan base uh, saying, you know, we don't do business with those dirtbags. Um, no, the answer is no. And and like, OK, the answer is not 50 million. Um you can have him, but so here's, here's my thing about doing business with rivals. Mm -hmm. uh, we as a fan base absolutely rate so many of our players, particularly the ones who came up through Hale end. Um, we're proud of them when they go out on loan and they do well. Uh, in many cases, I'm looking at Nuno Tavares. We very much overrate how well they did on their loan because he scored five goals. Uh, so we've already got like this natural, cling to these players, but uh, outside of a pocket of fans who believe that Balogun would be, you know, a, a step up at number nine, um, most people believe correctly that he would not be. The, the other thing that we need to acknowledge, though, is that that's also kind of a, a tacit acknowledgement that this is not a player who is incredibly rare. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of his talent level, in terms of his profile, 
maybe we haven't had a player like him at Arsenal for a while, but there are other players who you can bring in and they will do a similarly serviceable job. Uh, Chelsea signed Nicholas Jackson for 30 million pounds from, uh, from Villarreal. And yes. he, I mean, he looks pretty, like pretty good. Yeah. He was uh, pretty impressive against uh, Liverpool. I thought. Yeah. And see, so I guess what I'm trying to say here is that part of the reason these guys are for sale is that we know that they are not going to raise Arsenal's level so much that we couldn't do without them. There's also kind of a, a parallel belief that has to exist with that, that putting them in another side means that that side will also not be getting a performance above the level that we are at. That's how you end up if you're Chelsea selling Lewis Hall to, to Newcastle, which sounds like it's going to happen because they feel like they've got better options at left back. That's how we would end up selling Kieran Tierney. If that had, if that had happened to a Newcastle, we're not for in our, in our eyes, we're not, yeah, we're giving them a player who's maybe better than what they've got, but he's not better than what we've got. Yeah. And we think that we are better. So you meet our, our demands, which are not going to be very flexible. And yeah, you can have the player. That's just, why do you think Chelsea have been so willing to give Arsenal so many players over the years? Like Willian, the season before he came, I think that was technically on a free, but the point still stands. He was one of their biggest uh, chance creators the season before he left. And Chelsea didn't really blink an eye. I think they did try to resign him, but they didn't really put up much of a fight. Yeah, they didn't like, you know, pull out all the stops to keep him to be able to do it. Like they they wanted him to maybe take a bit of a discount off of certainly what he was able to get at Arsenal to be able to, you know, not stick around or, you know, they didn't force him to stick around with no. an offer you couldn't refuse. And the same thing is true of uh, Mason Mount and Kai Havertz in their eyes. They think that what they're doing is better and that's why they're willing to sell them because, you know, they did get a lot of money for both of those players and they view what they're doing and the money as better than just having the player. And, you know, maybe that will come back to bite them. It comes back to bite clubs sometimes, but you just have to, you have to have, you can't have the mindset of, oh dear, if I sell this player, he's going to turn into a superstar and then I'm going to look like a big dummy. Right. And I think that there's a, a certain benefit to protecting your upside, right? I think this is where we we talk about getting the, the you know, sell on clauses to get buybacks and to be able to do that. But being willing to, you know, maybe sell when you have that uncertainty, because I think that's something that the team has done a little or at least especially fans like they, they don't want to sell until they're absolutely certain about a player. And, you know, that is certainly something that you can end up with mistakes or you know things that you regret where you didn't or you sold a player too early. But I think then there's also times where when you do this more often than not, because uh, you know, the, the track record of young prospects, young players is littered with players that didn't live up to their potential or be able to do these kinds of things. So it's, it's almost one of those, you know, you'd rather sell, you know, two or three guys a little bit too early. And, you know, maybe there's one guy that, you know, comes back to haunt you a little bit, but maybe you entered something to protect a little bit of your upside. So it's not the the end of the world when those kind of things happen. Yeah. I mean, you're going to end up with some, you know, neighbory type of situations where, you know, Arsenal fans are still, still complaining about neighbory, but you're also going to, you're going to end up with Oxlade Chamberlain's and you're going to end up with, I mean, do you think anybody, wanted to sell Joao Felix when he got sold to, to Madrid? No, absolutely not. But has he been a great sale for them? Yes, absolutely. He hasn't lived it up, like not at all, to a 100 million plus price tag. 
you know, you could say the same about somebody like even Usman Dembele, uh, like I think 135 million to get him out of Dortmund. That's a great sale. Um, you know, he could have been great for them, but they're fine. They did fine. And they made a lot of money. Um, that's just how you end up with those big sales is you, you give up a little bit of that, that security of knowing that this guy that you're selling is never going to be that great for you. Um, you know, not every, not every sale that you make is going to be, oh man, we're really screwing these guys over. <laughs> uh, because when you get to that point and you've got Ainsley Maitland-Niles with one year left on his contract and absolutely nobody wants him. And the only person who will put in, or the only club who will put in an offer that you decide to take is Southampton, and they only want a loan with an option. Uh, that's why it's because we wait. Yeah, it's like well, that's the the classic example of you you waited until you were certain on a player, and you know once you were certain on a player, everybody else probably has that same certainty about that player, and it's it's kind of the the ability for teams to project something onto a player is what gives young players their value. Like people are um, up in arms, I think a little bit too about like, Oh, how are Manchester city able to sell their prospects that haven't even played a game yet? It's because it's again, it's like all of these people, you know, come with high reputations and they don't really have like any warts on them yet from seeing them play. So it's really, really easy to project mm-hmm. the things onto them. Um, there's certainly going to be like you look at a club like Chelsea who have been really good, I think, at selling players. You know, maybe they maybe they've given up on players a little bit too easily at times, but that they is have, absolutely yeah. their MO. I mean, they actually have, you know, they have skeletons in their closet of, you know, players that I'm sure they they wished they uh, hadn't given up. Right. You, you think about De Bruyne, you think about Sala, you know, those kind of guys. But there's numerous other examples where selling was the absolute right choice to do at that time where I don't think they, they really, even like, you know, guys that I would like, but it's like, I don't think they, you know, really regret selling, um, you know, some of those guys to, uh, you know, to, to Italy that they did. Um, I'm, I'm blanking on the, the striker's name. Um, that was, uh, Tammy like, Abraham. yeah, Tammy Abraham, right? Like he, you know, maybe would be good with them right now, but I don't think they really regret that sale at all. Not especially. And they, they did put a, they did put a buyback clause on him too which was, which was smart. Um, he, had, he had the one season where he looked awfully good and they had nothing really going on at striker. And, uh, but then last season he struggled a little bit more and yeah, I mean, that's going to happen. They're going to be, they're going to be players where you're like, yeah, and you know, we made the right move. And then they're going to be times, like you said, I mean, you know, Mark Gahey, for example, uh, where they, he would have been better at center back than some of their options. And they've spent, quite a bit of money to try to fix that. So, you know, that's just kind of a cost of doing business when you, when you decide that you're, you're going to move players in and out more as Arteta might say, ruthlessly. Exactly. All right. Um, I think the, we have a a few minutes here kind of left. Um, I want to just kind of get your thoughts on the, the opening weekend. Um, Is there anything that really kind of jumped out at you that made you uh, reconsider any of the priors that you had? um, Yeah. From the, the start. Well, I, I really felt, are we talking in general? Yeah, just <laughs> or, in general. specifically. No, I, I'd say the Premier League in general. Okay, so Premier League in general, I mean, the, the big standout one and the one that I desperately need um, another game to like know if, I, if I'm if i taking crazy pills or what was, it's got to be Wolves, Manchester Yeah, United, yeah, right. right? Yeah. Um, that midfield was so wide open and they've got such a, such like a dribbly ball carry set up from the front five or six players that, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm still kind of wondering if it's going to be boom or bust for them 
at times this season, but they definitely looked better than than I had expected. Um, so I, I'm curious to see that. Uh, I really want to see more of Newcastle and Aston Villa because um, that one was such a such a just a beatdown. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know so well uh, that Unai Emery sides just kind of fall apart, right? So. I'm wondering, you know, they're gonna get they're gonna get Manchester City on the weekend. Um, I couldn't for the life of me tell you who Villa are gonna play, but I want to see I want to see more of what both of those two sides are made of because there was like that first 20, 25 minutes where it, Villa kind of looked like, hey, you know, this is this is a good game, like these two really going at each other, and then it just kind of fell apart. Villa get uh, Everton on the weekend, so that's uh, probably a lot better. Yeah. Um, although Everton looked pretty good against Fulham, like they just like absolutely kind of got uh, footballed, right? Like they yeah. had some some massive chances that went their uh, went the wrong way for them. And I was like, I can't. I mean, I think if uh, Everton play that way going forward, they'll be fine. Um, I, I I wouldn't overreact to that one. I haven't really changed. Actually, I mean, I kind of came away a little, maybe a little bit more positive on Everton uh, than yeah. I did at the the start of the the year. Um, I think I was putting Everton in like the twelve to fourteen range. Yeah, and I, was like, I think that's still. I think that still kind of confirms like where they're at, right? They're gonna they're gonna make mistakes, but if they play like that, they'll be mostly fine. Oh, and it's interesting. Fulham played a lot of that game without Mitrovic, and he's probably leaving now. That's uh, what it looks know, like, right? Yeah, they've uh, they've you know been linked to Balogun as a result. I'm just going to tell anybody who's listening to this not to get your hopes up that they're going to get anywhere near 50 million uh, in terms of bidding for him. That's just how Fulham operates. But um, yeah, it's, you know, starting Raul up top. And um, like you said, football, I, during that game, I tweeted uh new year, same Fulham because of the, just the balance of the game, luck. the balance of the game was not in their favor. XG wasn't in their favor. Nothing really was except for the the actual score yeah um did you come away impressed with brighton so like they they obviously without two-thirds of their midfield uh last year they didn't even start ferguson um and they took apart luton who i think um are a bad team is your your priors changing at all on where brighton might be no i mean i was putting i think i was putting brighton without caicedo and fifth i want to say or sixth um and i still feel that way they've they've got the thing about them is they've got they've got a lot of players that people don't really give the appropriate amount of due to particularly like pascal gross and solly march Mm um you know danny walbeck isn't that bad of a striker and uh I think I think that um, you probably is really good as long as he's not within like 12 yards of goal (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I think I think you're going to see a lot of situations where Evan Ferguson honestly isn't starting. I mean, he's still he's still, I think he's still 18 or maybe he's 19 now. But um, so I think I think you're still probably going to see Welbeck get a lot of starts in the league. Um, so it's going to be interesting. But they've the thing about them is they've just I mean, everybody knows that they've re- recruited so well. Now they've got this Simon Adingra who is probably going to be everybody's crush by the end of the season. Um, Julio and CISO kind of came on later on the Buona no take it. I don't think he played in that game, but um, yeah, they've, they're, they're just a quality team. They've got depth. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they do with Europe. It's not really something that they've had to deal with, but I mean, they had a good summer. They brought in Joao Pedro who played well in that game. They brought in uh, Mahmoud Dahoud, who's one of my 
more favorite players from Dortmund. So I think they're going to be totally fine. They're probably going to be right up there in the top five or six all year. Yeah. So if you had to say, yeah, if you had to say who your biggest disappointment um, or, you know, the guy that or the stock that dropped the furthest for you from the opening weekend, why is it Manchester United? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I'm not disappointed that Manchester United looked bad. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe maybe you put PGMOL there. Um, oh, that's a good, very good but, point. But I, uh, I mean, outside of United, I, you have to say something about Liverpool, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they, yeah, the, the double blow of you know not looking good and then losing out on two midfield targets. Yes, uh, if they didn't already have McAllister and and Sobeschlei through the door, I mean, I think you would say that this has just been a disaster of a summer for them. It's been. I don't, I don't understand how you can look back at that run that they had with those personnel and say, all right, we're going to sell Fabinho and then not get anyone even remotely like Fabinho. Obviously, he was falling off uh, over the past couple of years. That's, that's undebatable, but it's just crazy. And then they went so hard after Caicedo mm-hmm. and they just got so crapped on by him. Um <laughs> So it's going to be interesting to see how Wataro Endo, Wataro Endo does. He's not a superstar by any means, but he's, you know, he's a good player. Yeah. Um, so it's, but they need, I mean, they, they need to, I don't know what was going through Jurgen Klopp's mind when he made that, that team. It just was so predictable that they were going to be so easy to go right through. Uh, and, and then they, and then they were, um, as much as I appreciate him, you know, for me, Cody Gakpo should not be playing in the midfield ever. Um, it's just not who he is. And I don't think he looks very good there. Yeah. So. He just added like no stability at all to things. I think, yeah, like Endo looks fine, but I think as the kids would say, he looks pretty mid. Like, I guess the one like really big thing about him is like, he plays all the time. So like, if you want to stick him at the base of the midfield, like, that should be fine. Just I, I don't think I would expect a ton from him. He seems like a fine-ish midfielder, not the greatest passer. Um, so like I guess that's where you look to see um, Alexander Arnold as your ball progressor, and like he just really just goes in shields and hopes to kind of clean up some of the mess that potentially is in front of him. But yeah, mm-hmm. he's certainly at he's thirty years old. So he's not going to you know, be a long-term fix by any stretch. So he's kind of a Band-Aid, I suppose, for now. And while we're on the topic of Liverpool, um, you know, I don't do a ton of predictions because I hate being wrong about stuff. But <laughs> um, I, here, I'll put myself out there. I will say Liverpool will be my surprise loss of this weekend. Okay. I think if they're playing against Bournemouth, against Bournemouth who, who I think actually looked pretty good. Um, uh, the guy from uh, Rio Vallecano um, came in and I thought uh, did a really good job of making Bournemouth uh, a tough team to play against. Andoni Iraola. Yeah, he's, uh, he's I wouldn't he's even try the manager. Name. He's a good manager. Um, kind of one of those situations where it was a little bit shocking that they that was O'Neill, right? That they that they yeah. sacked. And, uh, and he had done a good job, but they, they looked at that and they were like, you know what, we could do even better. And they brought in a manager who has a lot of, a lot of uh, plaudits kind of for being very young. And, um, you know, they've had, they've had a very respectable summer uh, bringing in guys like Milos Kirkes to play on the left at left back and Max Aarons, who I remember used to be every Arsenal fans crush at right back uh, from Norwich. Um, 
they brought in the Alex Scott midfielder. Now they're linked to, no, no, no. I was about to say Fofana, but that's not Ian Forrest. Um, so they've, you know, I think they've, I think they've got a good team. I think they're going to be maybe one of the best of the, of the rest um, after about ninth place. And I feel, I just, I've seen this story before, right? I think that Liverpool are going to get off to a bad start and, and just, it seems like the forces of nature are, are pushing them that way. So I'll predict that Bournemouth uh, come in and, and Nick one at Anfield. All right. That, that might be, I might just go through a fiver on that one um, and we'll, we'll see how it goes. If you um, win, uh, half the proceeds are mine. <laughs> but, if, but if I lose, it's all my fault for for listening to you. You assume the responsibility at that point. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I think that's a, a good spot to end it. Um, if you enjoyed the episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, uh, please consider subscribing. Um, I've got a, a podcast that um, going to go out to, to premium guys to with John McKenzie later today from uh, TIFO. So that'll be a, a really exciting one. Um, I think the leaving ratings and reviews um, helps to see or get people to to see this a little bit more. Uh, you can stay up to date with all the things that we do, uh, canonstats.com. You can get all the, the latest content. Um, you can follow us and do all those fun things on the, the site formerly known as Twitter. Um, Adam, it was a wonderful discussion with you. Uh, we'll do this again next week. So then we can say that it's not just a, a fluke. Then it's a trend when it's three. I'm into it. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you on the next one. Cheers, y'all.